she invented the spitball. You know, when you take a little piece of paper and then you put it in your mouth and go, you know, you spit. She couldn't get very far. So she invented the straw. She put it in. She used the straw as a guide and she hit the Hebrew school teacher and they threw her out of Hebrew school. That was my mother. This is Caregiver Storyteller, produced by Caring Kind, the heart of Alzheimer's caregiving. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Caregiver Storyteller, a storytelling podcast about Alzheimer's and dementia caregiving. I'm Chris Doucette, and I'll be interviewing caregivers to get their stories about Alzheimer's and dementia caregiving. Occasionally, I'll also interview the authors, advocates, researchers, healthcare professionals, and people with Alzheimer's and dementia to hear their stories, too. So, are you ready? Here we go. My name is Steve Zellner. I'm a New Yorker, born and raised here in Manhattan. My relationship to Alzheimer's, well, I was a caregiver. I took care of my mother for many years until her death last year, which would be May 19, excuse me, May 2017 at the age of 101. 101. That's right. Wow, good for her. Yeah, yeah. Mom was fine into her mid or late 80s. 2004, my best friend and his wife moved from their home in Boston to another home in Boston. He invited me up and he said, why don't you bring mommy? And I said, fine. So I got a car and I drove mom up. We put mom up in the guest bedroom and I got a a cot bed, which was fine. Uh My friend called me over after a day or so, and he said, Stevie, mom is starting to repeat herself. She's starting to forget things. I didn't live with mom. I, I, I saw it, but I didn't see it. I didn't notice. But my friend, who's a veterinarian, medically trained, he picked it up immediately. She was 88, as I said before. So I started watching her. And that's how her whole episode with dementia began. That was, again, 2004, age 88. She was all right. She could manage herself. As a matter of fact, for her 90th birthday, I took her on a nice vacation to Italy for two weeks. While she was tired, she was a good trooper. She would forget, but not too much. Her dementia uh, symptoms really started coming out maybe 2008, 2009. She not only forgot more, but she became irritated and angry. It became clear that she was having problems surviving on her own. She would walk around outside. She'd forget where she was. Um, She would become more irritable. And by 2010, I saw she could no longer survive on her own. I mean, she could, but it wasn't good. Um, I had to go into the hospital for a minor operation. It was a day procedure. And she was supposed to take me back to my home. She got lost in the hospital. 2011, I was able to take her on a trip, put mom in the hotel room. Mom became agitated. She was yelling, why is there candy in my room? I don't expect candy. This is one of those bars where you have candy bars on top. She behaved herself, but she couldn't function. So I gave up my apartment, which was in Kipps Bay. I moved back with mom. Mom has a very nice one-bedroom apartment. My friends are saying, why are you doing this? I said, I have to take care of mom. I'm an only child. 
I'm not married, so I have the flexibility. They said, how are you managing? I said, it's a one-bedroom apartment. Mom has her bedroom. So I look at it as a studio apartment with a mother attached. She's fine. <laughs> Mom became more irritable. She started yelling at me. I put my clothing into some cabinets. She started taking the clothing out, throwing it all around. I didn't know what to do. Uh, I had a watch. If I went out, there were times when she'd go out of the apartment and start wandering. She would stay on her floor most of the time, but sometimes she'd go down to the uh, lobby. Fortunately, the building has attendants. It's a luxury building, so they were doormen and concierges. But it started becoming worse and worse. Her balance was all right, but sometimes she would be a little bit off. And what did you attribute all of this to? I mean, obviously you moved back in with your mom, so you knew something was wrong. Did you think that she just needed a little extra help, or did you think that there was an underlying problem? There was an underlying problem. And what did you do to identify what that problem was? My mother had a doctor's appointment. I called her mother's doctor off. He was her doctor for almost 30 years. His specialty was rheumatology, but because many of his patients were older, he had a subspecialty, geriatrics. He was a wonderful, wonderful doctor. As a matter of fact, unfortunately, my mother outlived him, which was sad. But he said to me, Steve, your mother has beginnings of dementia. As a matter of fact, he sent her to the hospital. And I went with her, and she went through a battery of tests. She didn't go to a geriatric psychiatrist, but to all other sorts of tests, where she had to go from doctor to doctor to doctor. And I went with her. And they said, physically, she was strong. You know, she's 94, 95. She's 95 year old. She's strong. But she didn't know where she was. She tried to cook. She couldn't cook anymore. As an example, she had an old-style potato baker. You know what a potato baker is? Where you, it, it's, it's a flat top with a lid on it. You put a baked potato on the stove, and you can make a baked potato, which is great. She had something she wanted to heat, so she put it on the potato baker. She forgot to take it out of the plastic, so it melted. This, is, this was a rusty old potato baker that was from the 40s, and I was heartbroken. I was able to find a replacement. Uh, she had a coffee maker, one of these Krups coffee makers. She broke the, uh, the uh, what do you call it, the, the coffee jar. She yelled at me. I had to go and buy a replacement coffee jar. Uh, she did this. She yelled at me. I had to do that. What am I going to do, yell it back at mom? She's mommy. You know, I want to keep her around. Um, but anyway, so physically she was strong. Her balance wasn't great, but she was starting to lose her scruples. I really couldn't go anywhere. I had to give up work. What did you do for work? I was working on Wall Street. I was financing very smallest of publicly traded companies, but I couldn't work full time. I had to take care of mom. I had to cook. I had to clean. I had to do laundry. After a while, I'd have to bring her into the bathroom. She was in a house dress. I would. I had a chair. I'd put her in the chair. She would give me her house dress. She'd sit down. She'd take a shower. I got a removable shower head. Then I'd give her a towel. She would dry herself. I'd help her out. 
I put the I put her house dress on. Everything be modest. It's very difficult for a son to work with a mom like that. You're modest. My mom was extremely modest. It was tough. 2000, after 2013, I couldn't have a reasonable discussion with her anymore. She didn't know. She tried to read the paper. I had a subscription to the New York Times. And she would ask me, what does this word mean? And I'd look at a word, a simple word, like and or but, or what is uh, beautiful mean? And I'd have to describe it to her. And she'd say, oh. I was heartbroken. She couldn't fathom. Once in a while, she'd snap back and she'd have a period of lucidity. But for the most part, she didn't. And her strength began to ebb a little bit. Um, she began to experience hallucin hallucinations. I'd cook for her. I'd sit her down at the table. We'd eat. And she said, can I speak to the little boy next to you? And I'd say, what little boy? There's no little boy, which was a mistake. You have to, you have to work with the patient that way. I didn't realize. That little boy... And I said, Mom, I don't think he's here anymore. Oh, maybe he went home. I said, maybe his mommy wanted to go home, him to go home. I didn't know what to do. Seriously, I didn't know what to do. Toward the end of 13, Mom began to become really angry. She started hitting me. She was still strong, and she would hit me. She would slap me on the back. Slap, slap, slap. I let it go. What was I going to do? But in early 2014, she had a cane that she needed. She started hitting me with the cane. It hurt. I grabbed the cane. I wouldn't do anything else. I didn't want mom to fall. But on or around Valentine's Day of 2014, to the best of my memory, I was hit on the left side of my head about two inches above my ear. Whack, whack, whack. And I think she hit me with the cane. You could be in danger with a patient who's violent. Well, day afterwards, I started feeling woozy, and it got worse and worse over the week. So a week later, I couldn't stand the pain anymore. Mom was tired. She was in bed, and I said, Mom, I have to go to my doctor. I don't know what's going to be. The doctor wasn't there. He sent me to an ear, nose, and throat doctor because I thought it was my sinuses. And he said... Um, it's not your sinuses. Can you get to the emergency room? They took a CAT scan. They said, you're undergoing neurosurgery. I called my mother. I called my best friend. I called the people in the house. And I, evidently, I was calling them and calling them. I had to have a repair for something called a subdural hematoma where a blood vessel between the brain and the skull breaks and there's a collection of blood, it can be a fatal injury. It's a very serious brain injury. Fortunately, the repair was good, and I got up early the next morning. And the doctor comes in, a young doctor, and I look at him. I said, you know, it's 10 after 7 in the morning. Do you know what day it is? And he says, he said no. I said, do you know what the square root of 3 is? And he said, no. I said, it's 1.732. It's Washington's birthday. Today is Washington's birthday. And he starts laughing. He says, you're going to be okay. 
Turns out they thought I had a stroke on the operating table. Fortunately, I didn't, wow. if you can imagine. I was in the hospital for five days. I was worried about mom. The hospital social worker arranged for in-home health care, which was not inexpensive. For you or for your mom? For me, I had to pay for it. And uh, the fellows in the house did some shopping and some of the neighbors came up. I came home and my insurance paid for an in-home health aid for me for a while. I had some memory loss. And while I was there, I had to look after mom. The worst part of it is I come home, I walk in the house, my mom is there with a cane waiting to hit me on the head again. Wow. I took the cane out of her hand, I put it where she couldn't find it, and I gave her a walker. She had a three-point walker, a tricycle walker. And from 2014 to the time she couldn't uh, walk, she used that tricycle walker and then a wheelchair. It was all downhill from 2014. She could walk. I still was able to get her out, take a short walk around the block. And when I got a wheelchair for her, I was able to put her in the wheelchair and take her into the nearest park, which is Washington Square Park. She liked it. There was a, a nice little, there were two playgrounds, one for the toddlers, and she loved to watch the toddlers play. But she'd get tired, so I'd bring her home. Uh... 2015, her doctor died. So I found another doctor who was the head of geriatric medicine at NYU. I wrote the doctor a letter and I explained the situation. And I said, I understand you're very busy. I don't know what to do. She took my mom on as a patient. She was a wonderful doctor and she remains a wonderful doctor today. There wasn't any treatment. I asked, were there any kind of chemicals to calm my mom down? We tried a couple of chemicals. They made things worse. They don't know how to treat this kind of violent behavior. So I was on, I was on guard. By 2015, I couldn't handle her anymore. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what to do. My friend Jeff shouted at me. He said, Steve, don't be a hero. You can't do it alone anymore. He said, go to Karen Kind. They'll help you. I was frightened. I, I didn't want to bother anybody. I, I prided myself. We're a modest family. We always wanted to be self-sufficient. It also sounds like a very guy thing. Uh, men tend not to go to the doctor or take care of themselves. And oh. you, try to, you try to tough your way through it. You betcha. And is that part of the, yeah, part I of think the story so. there? I think so. But my mom was messing herself and I had to clean her. And it was embarrassing. And my mom, again, very, very modest woman. Mm -hmm. She had a seizure just before Labor Day of 2016. She couldn't walk anymore, so I had to lift her on and off the bed. The, the home, you know, milk aide was able to clean her and change her diapers. I was still there to cook for her. I'd say, how was the meal, Mom? And she said, it's delicious. There was a great old uh, performer on Broadway. Her name was Ethel Merman, and she would accentuate her voice delicious it's marvelous that was my mom one time in february of 2017 she was lucid and she said thank you for taking care of me this last part of my life and i said ma it's okay i was dying inside i was dying inside but what are you gonna do you know she's mommy well not everybody gets that 
kind of gratitude. Yeah, and right? I didn't expect it. That's not what you do it for. You, you no, know, of course not. You just yeah. do it. On Friday the 19th of May 2017, Mom passed. Took the better part of a year to get over it. I got over it. And now I'm getting back into the to the business of living again, which is a good feeling. I will tell you, after speaking with other friends who've gone through what I've gone through, nobody is prepared for it. There are no medications. You take the responsibility of a, as a caregiver. My father died at home. My mother died at home. It's the way both of them wanted. I think it was a very, very nice thing. When did your dad die? Oh, he died in 1972. That was tragic. He had a uh, an aneurysm that burst. And that affected my mom. I think the anger was there. But my uh, my eldest cousin wrote to me. He never writes. He wrote to me, basically said, you know, your mom was a piece of work, a piece of nature like my father and my uncle. They, were, they gave the term type A a new meaning. They were all really driven. But my my cousin said, unfortunately for your mom, in her time, she was a woman. She wasn't given the opportunity that my father, my, his father and my uncle were given. Her name was Sylvia. Her maiden name was Abrams. Her married name was Zellner. She was a piece of work. She, she was born in Harlem in 1916 on 118th Street between Madison and Park Avenues. My grandpa sold horse feet. Yeah, it was that. Wow. When she was born, there were still horse-drawn trolleys in Harlem, if you can imagine. And evidently, she was really lively. And, of course, my, she had my uncle, my her older brother, and then a number of years later, my younger, her younger brother came along. But she was lively. She was uh, full of the devil. And she was my grandfather's... Uh, favorite. He, they would always hold hands. She was a good student, but she was not very patient. They sent it to Hebrew school at the synagogue. She didn't like it. She figured out how to get out of it. She invented the spitball. You know, when you take a little piece of paper and then you put it in your mouth and go, you know, you spit. She couldn't get very far, so she invented the straw. She put it in. She used the straw as a guide and she hit the Hebrew school teacher, and they threw her out of Hebrew school. That was my mother. She was a live wire. She was a voracious reader. She and her friend would go to the library, which was a good 15, 20-minute walk from the house, and they'd pick up books. And they, she loved romance novels. And my uncle, who was very studious, complained to my nana that she was always reading love story novels. Um, she wanted to go to college, but my grandpa was sick, so she had to go to work. But mom became a bookkeeper, and she worked for a little girl's coat company. During the war, she sold war bonds. She was that active. Her younger brother went into the army, so she wanted to do something. So she sold war bonds at a famous movie house called the Lowe's Paradise Theater, right in the Bronx on, Fort, on the Grand Concourse. Uh, and she said all the guys would war. She was cute. So my Nana and my Aunt Annie would come up to meet her afterwards and they'd walk her home. Nana was erect and she was petite. Aunt Annie waddled. Aunt Annie had a heart of gold, but she waddled. And so the two of these women were considered her bodyguards walking home. D-Day comes along. This is my mother. 
and mom stayed home with Nana to listen to the radio. There were no TVs, no internet, none of that. She comes to work late, came in at about 11 o'clock in the morning, and the boss says, Abrams, you're late. And she said, so-and-so, Mr. So-and-so, I had to listen. My brother's over there. I don't care. He's supposed to be at work. And she looks at him and says, F you, I quit. And she said, go F yourself, I quit. Abrams, no, no, no. She walks out. She calls my Uncle Paul, her older brother, who's a very fine attorney. And he says, Sylvia, I, got, I have somebody for you. He's a guy named Sam Kessler. He's a handbag manufacturer. He's over on 33rd Street. His bookkeeper became pregnant. She wants to quit. You're a bookkeeper. Go see him. So she goes up to see Kessler. She gets the job. And she works for Kessler. Kessler tells her about a guy named Leo who's over in the war in the Pacific right now. And she said, he said, you know, he'd be good for you. He won't always give you cake, but he'll give you bread. He was a poor boy from the South Bronx. My mother was from more middle class. War's over. A few months later, the young man comes in. It's this guy, Leo. Kessler shuts the factory off, goes into my mother and says, Sylvie, go down and get some pastries. This guy, Leo's back. He ran the factory. Go get pastries. She goes down. She minds her business. This guy comes into her office and said, Miss, do you have any aspirins? I have a splitting headache. She gives him the aspirins. They talk. The next day, this guy, Leo, is waiting for her in the vestibule in the lobby. And they were together until my father's death in 1972. You know, Kessler gave up the factory, became a sales rep. So my father worked for somebody else and he got fired. So he started his own business, didn't work. And Kessler said, look, I have space across from me on West 32nd Street where he had a sales office. Open up the factory. I'll help you. You'll go into business and I'll sell for you. My father had his own business. My mother was there. She did the bookkeeping. She helped him in the factory. And they had the whole Kessler gang together. It was great. It was my family. My father, he'd go in on Saturdays. So I would sweep up and my father would give me a dime or 15 cents. And then he'd take me to the deli and he'd treat me to a pastrami sandwich, which was the best thing in the world. <laughs> pastrami sandwich, fries, and root beer. And I was happy. And we'd take the subway home. But the business got bad towards 1970, 71. Imports were coming in. They were undercutting domestic they were better and they were cheaper what and dad died in 72 yeah um mom found went through a succession of jobs but i remember going downtown with her we go to a place called dubrow's cafeteria which was a couple of doors down on 7th avenue in the 30s it was a cafeteria which was really neat you know a cafeteria you get your own sandwich and, and you get your soda and you get this and that and we'd sit we talk we have a lot of fun and then we go to daddy's and she'd do the payroll. And then we'd go out to have dinner. We'd go to a Chinese restaurant. And then we'd go up, take a nice walk on Fifth Avenue. And we'd go to a place called Rumpelmeyer's. Rumpelmeyer's was in the Hampshire House Hotel on Central Park South. And we'd have an ice cream sundae. And, and then we'd get on the A train and go home. Those were great days with my parents. Mom had it together. She was extremely sharp. She was a great mathematician. She could... She could pick up stuff like anything. So how did she respond to her own diagnosis? She couldn't accept it. I said, Mom, you're, you're a failure. No, I'm not. I said, Mom, you don't know. No, I'm not. I'm fine. I said, you can't go out. Yes, I can. 
let's go. She'd get up. She'd go back into bed. Did she know that she was diagnosed with uh, dementia or Alzheimer's? She knew. The doctors never said Alzheimer's. Um, they were suspicious that she did have Alzheimer's. They were suspicious because of her hallucinations that she may have had some dementia with Louis bodies, L-E-W-Y, named after a, a Dr. Louis. But it didn't matter. There are no chemical or biological treatments to treat the patients. What's really needed is how do you treat the caregiver and help the caregiver cope so the caregiver can handle the patient. Did you feel any kind of self-consciousness or stigma as a, as a, a caregiver who's a man? No, not whatsoever. I was an only child. There was nobody else. It was my responsibility. It's not only my responsibility. You know, sometimes I, you have to. You, she's mommy. Who's going to? I couldn't abandon my mother. I just couldn't. I will tell you this. 2011... 2012, I couldn't date. My friend said, go on these singles dating websites. Right? What am I going to do? I'm not going to be able to date. I go on one called OKCupid. It's free. And I put my photographs on it. But I put down, I said, look, folks, I'm my mother's caregiver. I could have a cup of coffee once in a while. Maybe. Going out to dinner is a stretch, but maybe I could do it. Could I have a real relationship? No. And and I answered all kinds of questions about myself. I had fun doing it. And it was revealing. You know, you, it forced me to be honest with myself about who I am. I received many messages back saying, you're a good son. You, not many men would do this, etc. I never expected that because there were many women who were there who were caregivers to their mom. But they didn't expect that a son would do it. Sons do it they care but I didn't have any stigma about it you do it the big problem was not being able to work and bring in money you know I had a certain amount of money mom had her social security in a little bit it starts going down and starts going down and starts going down and starts going down and it starts hurting and it's frightening if you're a caregiver you never know how the disease is going to progress there's an end point unfortunately you can call it, in some cases, the light at the end of the tunnel. some cases, it's the end point, but it's the, the passing of the patient. You can't prepare yourself for it. I couldn't. I was completely worn out. My friends looked at me. They said, Steve, you, you're, you're walking around like you've been swatted around. If you are a caregiver, realize you're not alone in this. It's happened to countless caregivers. Find the inner strength. Go to friends. There are other organizations that work with the diseases, but they don't work with the caregivers. They do other things. Hopefully they'll help research, but I've sp spoken to researchers. I, I, I did graduate work at MIT. They have neurosciences, and I have friends who know. And they throw up their hands. As much as they know, they throw up their hands. It's up to you as a caregiver. Find a support network. Come to Caring Kind if you're here in New York. They'll help you. There's love here. There's caring. They've gone through it. They helped me. I couldn't survive without them. Sound advice. Steve Zellner, thank you so much for coming in and sharing your story. It's my pleasure. I hope I can give more. 
Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to share your story, go to caringkindnyc.org podcast. Maybe we'll use your story on the show. We'd love to hear from you. Please subscribe to this podcast and leave some glowing feedback. We love positive reinforcement. I'm Chris Doucette, and you're listening to Caregiver Storyteller, produced by Karen Kind, the heart of Alzheimer's caregiving.